1: Hello, and welcome to Still Watching Succession. I'm Richard Lawson.
0: And I'm Sonia Saraya. Uh,
1: And we're here today to talk about episode three of season three of Succession, um, the disruption. And indeed, there is quite a bit of disruption in this episode. (laughs) Um, But before we get into that, we want to do a little housekeeping as it pertains to you, our listeners. Um, As you may have heard us say uh, say in previous episodes, you can always email us at Pod at gmail.com with any theories or comments or concerns even. Um, and then we have a new feature that we use on our sister podcast, Little Gold Men, called Subtext, which is a way from your phone, you can essentially send Sonia and me text messages asking us the same things that, that you would email us about, the same concerns, etc. So to sign up for that, you can go to joinsubtext.com slash still watching, or you can just text the number 213 213- 6526717 and that's 2136526717. So we hope that you reach out as this season goes, I think there's going to be a lot to talk about and part of that conversation is with you, the listeners.
0: Well, please text me. That's all I'm saying. I, nobody texts me. I need more texts. Blow up my phone.
1: Yes, yes, we want our phones to be as busy as any of the scrambling Roy children are. <laughs> um so yeah, this episode I really really liked uh i i think it's pretty cool that it was directed by kathy yan uh who did um the most recent uh well not i guess because there was suicide squad but uh harley quinn standalone movie oh. um which i thought was fun i liked that uh she also has an, uh, an indie a sundance indie from years ago uh called dead pigs i believe um so yeah, it, it moved really well for me. Uh, what did you think, Sonia?
0: Oh, I, I really liked it too. It was so, um, so action packed, uh, just like a lot of high drama, a lot of power reversals. Um, Z-Way and Dasha from Red Scare are both in this episode. <laughs> There's just so much going on. Um, I actually sort of, I know like what we typically do is go through the characters and we will do that, but I kind of wanted to start with like, it we had a time jump finally it sort of seems like it's been like about a week um kind of hard to say but people are kind of like everyone's back in their corners a little bit um and uh i think the the action really sort of climbs up from everyone's kind of back in their corners to this town hall that's in the middle of the episode and then the rest of the episode is kind of just dealing with the fallout of the town hall um and I really liked that. I really liked how many sort of events were sort of uh, pulling the characters together in this episode. Um, I really, I really enjoyed just how much happened.
1: A lot happened. I mean, to the extent that I was watching the episode and I was like, "Well, this must be wrapping up." And I looked at the, like the, the the time bar on the screening thing, and it said there was 25 minutes left, and I was like, "This feels like it's already been so much episode." But hey, I'm not complaining. Um, and yeah. I think that what what this what this episode really did for me, kind of structurally was obviously the 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 premiere episode was like continuing what happened from the season finale of last season and then season this episode two is kind of still attending to that and i feel like this episode is where season three kind of really started its new storylines does that make sense
0: yeah for sure it felt like we were kind of like dealing with the denouement and then now it's like oh what's everyone cooking this season what can we actually do with these characters
1: um right exactly
0: and we we start off um i think like a another useful place to so just like to sort of remember like now jerry is the ceo and uh there's like this tension going on at Waystar Royco where like jerry's in charge but is she in charge and then meanwhile there's Kendall who's made this pitch to his siblings but they are not with him So let's kind of pick up with Kendall because he's where the episode starts. Um, He I I would I I feel like it's like it's not totally fair to the episode because so much stuff happens. But I think let's start with Kendall and kind of walk with him through the episode, because then I think uh, we can like see how everyone else links together as we go. Um, and I actually really love that Kendall starts the episode doing press, you know, doing an interview. <laughs> yeah. um, it, I, I mean, it's so fun. like to me, there were a couple of things in this sh- uh, in this episode that were like, you know, a little bit a little bit of a meta commentary, like the succession behind the scenes talking to all of us out here, you know, as we receive the show. So there's um, in this case, it's Kendall talking to a journalist and he's going on and on and on about how great his life is. Um And like his fennel salad, and then like agonizing over how she's gonna write about the fennel salad. And she's like, Are you afraid of how like people perceive you? And he's like, Yeah, no, no, not at all. (laughs) Just like a really charged moment.
1: (laughs) A a really charged moment. And and I think, you know, we get so much of this Kendall 3, 4.0 in this episode, like just seeing how kind of pathetic he is, you know? And I think that there's something really amusing about the heir to a media fortune thinking he has that same sway over a different publication <laughs> you know that has nothing to do with his family's business and the reporter and then later you know the tv producers are like um no <laughs> <laughs> like are you sure you want to do this and say that because like i'm going to like the, i can offer you no cover you know right um and i think that he doesn't seem to realize it in this initial you know interview scene um but he he probably should you know he has that tiny moment of self-doubt where he's like no no i, I don't i don't care what, what people think about me but then he kind of just keeps barreling through and being you know being snazzy um and i think that the fun of this episode tragic fun is watching that sort of snappy uh energy fade to almost nothing
0: yeah it goes it like it's like a whole like roller coaster with it um so the the when, when he's asked about his siblings and how he feels about them, he makes this comment about being in a good headspace now, um, which is only notable because then you see that Roman can't let it go throughout the episode. He keeps asking everyone at Waystar Roku about their headspace. So it's funny, like Kendall's so concerned about his presentation in the press, but really all that matters is how his family perceives him, and obviously his family is perceiving him like they 've all read the article when you when you see them um as soon as you see them in the next scene um but then of course uh later later that evening um Kendall's uh in this limousine on the way to this uh, journalism benefit um and again, this obsession with what people think of him um. They decide to play a game called Good Tweet, Bad Tweet. That's just the game, uh, that I play on Twitter every day. Um, that's just <laughs> It's yeah, just, yeah. it's just Twitter. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's, and this is where Dasha from Red Scare is, in, is, uh, is looking at the tweets, I think, uh, as, uh, one of, uh, one of the publicists that's working with him. And, um, Greg is in the car. Cousin Greg is in the car too. Um, and it's so, uh, it's so embarrassing. I mean, it's pathetic to use your word. Just like what they, you know, they're, he's so desperate for people to say something about him or to him to like weigh in on him. Then like there's like one tweet that like sort of makes them like all feel a little sad. And then Kendall starts the chant of that one sucked. <laughs> like <laughs> just, I don't know, just really pathetic stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, I think the way that it's written, and and certainly the way that Jeremy Strong plays it, this kind of swagger that has a tinge, or more than a tinge of mania to it, um, and just this continual thing of, he, Kendall really thinks he's cool, or is desperately trying to be cool, and, you know, I think the detail of the stretch limousine, which feels so tacky <laughs> in 1980s Wall Street shit, you know, right. it's like obviously there's a big group of them so maybe they need that kind of room but like it you know and i think it's funny having dasha from red scare forgive me i don't remember her character's name and i don't can't find it in front of me but um that like her you know if people don't know red scare is this very like hip downtown manhattan millennial or young millennial podcast about politics and culture from a very sort of i guess you could call it left-wing standpoint though the dirtbag left? Yeah, dirt left yeah the dirtbag left yeah it's right. kind of the, the 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 distaff version of chapo trap house um so having her on this show um for those who are aware of the podcast is a funny sort of totem of the tal you know sort of a reminder of the fact that kendall is way more out of touch than he thinks she is here's this mm-hmm. younger person who throughout the episode keeps kind of cringing at him but trying to do it pleasantly like Oh, I think it actually is kind of bad, or I think it is kind of a big deal. And he's like, "No, baby, I got it. It's cool. It's cool." And she's just there to kind of be like, "Nothing about this is cool."
0: <laughs> no, I mean for sure. And uh, I think, I think like this just like extends this note when uh, they get out of the limousine and he and Rava decide that they're going to quote unquote do something or like say something to the photographers. And the phrase they come up with is "fuck the patriarchy." He just sort of shouts it like, in the general direction of photographers, and then they turn back and go inside this gala. And, I mean, I think, like, if there was ever a moment, if, if you'd ever doubted that the succession writers are mocking Kendall, I think, like, this is a great moment of, like, oh, no, he is the fool. He is the fool
1: in this <laughs> Oh, foolish. <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to correct you. It's Naomi. Uh, not Rava. With Naomi. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. But, yeah, no, but it's fine. But um, I, I think Naomi is an interesting presence, I think, in this episode. Because she's there all the time. She's not saying much. She's kind of batting things back and forth. with Kendall, he's like running jokes by her later. Do you think that Naomi is like a bad influence on him? Or do you think she's just I mean, can he really I mean, he's his own bad influence. But like, how do you think she's functioning in this?
0: Well, it's a good question. Also, I can't believe I got her name wrong. But of course, it's a good question because, like, you know, they really uh, enabled each other's kind of addictive uh, personalities, like addictive behavior in the last season. So it's like this. I, I haven't actively felt like her presence is having much of an influence on Kendall. But she's definitely um, just by uh, just by being there is kind of giving him um, maybe some sort of reassurance uh, that whatever he's doing is is working, which maybe is not actually what he needs to hear right now. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I can't really tell what they're going to do with her. I mean, yes, there is the thing about their sort of shared addictive past and this concept of being a dry drunk, you know, which is like. You're not taking substances. I mean, I guess they are, or she is, anyway. But like in Kendall's case, like, but you're sort of still exhibiting that sort of behavior, you know. Mm-hmm. um So I think she's a part of that. But there was also something where I was like, remember what? What is um Stephen Minuchin's wife? Uh, oh,
0: Louise st- El- Edgerich Eldridge. What is
1: her name? The sort of like Bond villainess who. uh you know, was, was, did that photo with all the money, you know, remember, you know, yeah, who got yeah, in all yeah. that trouble for is that? Louise like, Linton?
0: L- Louis right, Linton. Right. Louise
1: Right. I kind of get like a sort of vibe. I mean, Naomi seems to have like more of her own thing going on, but like, I kind of just got this vibe of like, if Kendall is very, getting very sort of publicly famous, notorious, whatever right now, like Naomi as being constantly in the photographs and people sort of speculating about what she's up to and what her deal is, like, it kind of makes sense for Kendall's like, developing brand or he's trying to develop one that she be a part of that i guess i mean maybe i'm being cynical even for this show but
0: oh i mean i think you're right that like she's done some calculation on how this works for her and is is committing to that you know i think i think it's hard to know exactly like what her math is but i don't think she would be there if she thought it looked bad for her either
1: right right yeah
0: um so she disappears quickly from this episode. Um, I hope we get more of that relationship, but what happens when Kendall gets into the benefit is he runs into Shiv. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about, about Shiv's like arc in this episode, but, um, they have a conversation that is, I mean, kind of a classic Roy sibling conversation where it sort of starts out. Like it looks like they're maybe sort of apologizing to each other or kind of like trying to create some sort of reconciliation. Um, kendall apologizes for throwing a couple of ugly rocks at her in terms of like the stuff he said um and then shiv says something about how she wants him to like to stop doing what he's doing because the only way to really uh to really have an impact is to fix something from the inside and then kendall says very cuttingly you know i can't believe they made you get all dressed up for this like i feel sorry for you um and that Then he goes right on stage to start making a speech. Um, He's in a very self-aggrandizing mode right now.
1: He is. And yet I know what he means with regard to her.
0: Right. He's not wrong. (laughs) No, because
1: like, you know, she has sort of always up until this point been able to sort of be like, I mean, I'm not technically involved with this company. Like I'm I'm over here working with progressive political candidates like whatever. Yes, I enjoy the fruits of my families you know labor or whatever but you know and in this moment kendall's like okay so you picked you know Mm -hmm. and then later she's assuming the mantle of this president of domestic affairs or whatever it was called and and yeah so it's it's funny because the i love the way that this the show offsets this moment of kind of poignancy and clarity shared between them and, and and kendall having this kind of like well okay like i guess that's what you're doing now and then immediately jumps up on stage clapping for himself like an (laughs) asshole you know like that moment of like actual sort of sagacity or whatever like lasts about 30 seconds
0: it's it's terrible i mean so because right after this benefit we go back to kendall's um condo apartment place um and you get uh, there's a there's a daytime view out the window that made me realize that where kendall lives is one of those like space needle thin, super, uh, super tall, super thin skyscrapers that have become like luxury condos that are like rising like terrible pencils all throughout Manhattan. Um, it didn't surprise me at all to sort of see that he was in this like literal sort of ivory tower kind of <laughs> construction um, because it's like so like, like metaphysically, he is just on a cloud. Like he is like un unrelated, uh, un- disconnected from reality and i think it's like really underscored with the whole bit with which features z-way where um they all you know he he's like sees that sophie wobi which is way's uh, name in this um has like done a bit on him and he's like so excited about it he like starts telling everyone about it he like makes people watch it um and like keeps saying like this is great she loves me and like you the audience like feel crazy because you're watching her like tear him a new one like she she says like he thinks he's woke but he's actually a fucking jackass like call comes up with this name for him edipussy uh the edi part being like the Oedipal complex um has like a a lot of criticism of him that like i think we have too just based on him sort of like embodying the patriarchy and then strutting into this thing saying to fuck the patriarchy um and I think the thing that really, like, there's so much in this, but I, I, I guess the thing that I took away from it was, like, either Kendall is, like, so deeply in his own narrative that he doesn't understand what's happening, or maybe he can't differentiate all the time between humiliation and, like, adulation. Like, when someone's paying attention to you, if it's positive attention versus negative attention is, like, a significant difference. But Kendall doesn't see, doesn't see that significant difference. He, um, he's just taking it all in as positive.
1: Right, exactly. Because, I mean, that's kind of the, like, if daddy's yelling at me, at least he's looking at me and paying attention to me, you know. Um, And I'm really glad you brought up what we can kind of assume the building he lives in is, you know, because for those who don't know about these buildings that Sonya's referring to, it's these mega tall, super tall, I forget what the actual term is, but like, skyscrapers mostly on Central Park South in Midtown Manhattan that, you know, there there are units there selling for over a hundred million dollars. It's a it's a really you know, and they're these kind of disgusting blights, these these towers of wealth, um, you they're, know, on are New York. They're, they're terrible. They're and, awful. <laughs> and, and I and I think the thing about them being awful is that there the metaphor as it relates to Kendall there is like, yeah, everyone can see you But no one likes you, you know, like visibility is not necessarily good in this scenario, just like those buildings. And and those buildings also are having trouble getting like safety certifications. There's apparently howling wind in the elevators, the building sway, like they're kind of actually miserable to be in. And so this glamorous, you know, high profile palace that Kendall finds himself in is actually kind of a mess that everyone hates.
0: Right and yet the appearance of being sort of high like of being as high as right. possible is like all that all that matters yeah it's it's it it's such a great note um that little thing um so then once so once we uh once he i don't know for some reason Sophie Woby really gets him like revved up about about his position like even more um because after all of this attention from her He wakes up the next morning and he's like, I'm going to fuck up everybody's life and decides that he's going to go into Waystar Royco, which he has not done since the press conference. And I would say that like this moment is like one of Succession, like great kind of combining like the high dramatic tension with like what feels like slapstick comedy, because everything that happens is like everyone is so stressed out, but it's also so stupid. (laughs) um like kendall but kendall uh getting through the security uh getting this through the security gates at the big at the uh ground floor of the office they there are two people meet him there one of them is hugo they're like trying to convince him to go somewhere else and he won't do it and eventually he gets upstairs and he's convinced that they're trying to like can manipulate the air conditioner to like make him uncomfortable it's like uh it's like paranoia writ large and everyone else around him is is experiencing that same heightened level of like if kendall comes into the building like our defenses are down
1: yeah yeah and and there's that, that bizarre moment with the what is he like the head of security or something yes who's like i know you you like- know and <laughs> And it does kind of affect Kendall, like, and I I think, you know, it's like one of those like old stories where like, the king is out with the public and like some old crone appears out of the crowd. And it's like, you know, like curses, you know, or whatever, like, it just feels like suddenly this person put this like black mark on him.
0: Mm -hmm. It's I was sort of expecting that guy to like loop back or like, maybe we'd learn his name or something. But maybe this is just what happens. (laughs) like in like that someone shows up for you and you've never seen them before. But that's the person who's going to kill you.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly, like I, regards from your father. You know when the knife goes in. Yeah.
0: Um. So we don't see exactly how he does it, but the Kendall gets to Waystar Roiko right before the town hall, and Shiv goes up to give the speech. It's her big moment. I keep saying we're going to get back to Shiv. I promise we're going to get back to Shiv. She's having her big moment, and then speakers in this in this uh, common area, which seems to be multi-story um start blasting nirvana's rape me um really funny very topical in a way um shiv tries to power through it can't power through it the moment's a disaster everyone's running around um and we don't even see we don't see kendall do we don't even see him gloating it's kind of this interesting just chaotic um moment um but he presumably had something to do with that, and then is even more high on his own supply, <laughs> and that's when he goes decides that he is going to go onto Sophie Woby's show, and he is going to like make his uh, I don't know make his mark publicly, even more publicly on this show that purports to hate him.
1: He's going to go onto her show by demanding he go on and and you know barging in and interrupting the writers and you know when he's been told not to and like you know again with, with i think it's a nice mirror of that first scene with the reporter where it's like yeah he can gain access because they're curious to see what he'll do on this show that they you know that has been covering him but like he can't control that their narrative you oh, know of course. um and and him sort of saying oh i know some guy who knows him from the lampoon and uh you know i know people i can get jay-z sure yeah yeah and it's like that's obviously not true mm-hmm. um that's the limits of his power are being made manifest. And I think that like, as he kind of collapses into this heap about, you know, when, when Shiv's letter kind of gets made public, um, you, you kind of see him maybe having the dawning realization that like, I'm out in the cold here. Mm. Like I have tons of money and I'm famous ish right now. And that commands a certain kind of, you know uh, uh, respect or something deference um but like i i am he's so used to having all of the resources of of a huge infrastructure and he's now realizing that he doesn't have any of that and um his family has in essence abandoned him
0: oh right in this and it's this kind of like it's a drawn out sort of like you get the sad succession theme like with the piano sad theme um as he uh he, he has this conversation with the with the producer of the show it, it she says we're going on in 15 minutes like what are you trying to tell me and what i loved that in this conversation he is like unable to say that he can't go on the show like he he cannot bring himself to do it maybe because he believes until he's halfway down the hall away from her that he is gonna do it he's somehow going to face this like terrible like character assassination from his family or at least from his sister and all of the other shit that's happened it's like finally he feels it in that moment shiv really living up to her name with this like stiletto to the heart thing um and you see him you see jeremy strong like begin to feel all of his uh all of all of what he feels he's been entitled to that kind of delusion is sort of falling from him and then he and i think this is so heartbreaking and also so revealing. He really just runs and hides. He he he's walking down the hallway, makes a turn, keeps going, finds an empty room and just, you know, just it's so childlike. He just collapses into this crouch. He's just sort of hoping daddy doesn't find him.
1: Yeah, and exactly. And and I think, you know, he's been running on such high energy since the end of last season. And that was going to give out at some point, you know, and to have it happen there. And like that feeling of like. Where do I go right now? <laughs> like, I'm so embarrassed and hurt, and just stripping every impulse down to like the most primal thing and just finding a small space <laughs> to crouch into a ball, you know? Yeah. Like, it's really sad. And I think that something that really compounds that is when we hear um Sophie read this mm, statement mm. from Shiv, and it's so carefully worded in this like concerned way. You know, it's not a vituperative attack on her brother. I mean, he knows it is. He understands it to be that. And you know, Sophie makes a joke, and she's the nice one. But it is at least kind of count. The, the 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 letter is like, we're you know, we're worried. Please give him his space, or so, like you know, you know, don't you know, leave him alone. Essentially, and like, what has he been doing but courting fame? This you know, this whole season thus far, and so her just saying like, don't give him any of that. Like, he needs help. You know, it's such a it, it makes it that much crueler mm. because there's a ton of truth in it.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, that, that letter, I think the thing that is uh, really interesting about the letter is that it it works so well. Like, I, I don't know that I would have anticipated it working so well, but it really takes him apart. Um, and if it weren't for the fact that right as he is crouching down and listening to this, uh, listening to Sophie read this letter, if it weren't for the fact that his phone at that moment lights up with Hey, the FBI is raiding your dad's company. Um, this episode would have been like perfectly an arc, uh perfectly a diagonal line of Kendall at the top of the world to Kendall at the bottom of the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but I think it I think it ends up being a little bit more squiggly as a result. Um, and, and I I kind of appreciate us seeing just how much Kendall is going through. Kendall's not a typical whistleblower by any means, but I do think the psycholo- the psychological toll of being a, a whistleblower uh is is real. Um So I appreciate it. I I sort of appreciate it for that reason.
1: Um, So I have a question for you, like as it pertains to the real world. Yeah. Let's say one of Rupert Murdoch's sons. Yeah. And there was a, there was a, there was a particular scandal of this size, a massive rape and cover up and intimidation, you know, you know, cycle of behavior from a quarter century ago, you know, which would be pretty significant if that happened to News Corp. Um, and one of the sons went rogue. Do you think in real life he would become as like zeitgeisty a public figure, you know, as Kendall has to the point that people care about a statement that his sister read. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I knew what you mean. I, I and I do think it would happen, maybe not quite okay. in this way. But you know, you so the the Roger Ailes thing really did happen to News Corp and and, and it's interesting to imagine you know, at that time when that scandal was unfolding, I do think there was a lot of attention on James Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch and what they were saying and what they were doing and what they were willing to stand for. And I believe I believe one of them put some pressure um maybe it was reported later, put some pressure to like make this behavior not okay in some way. And I feel like that was like important. Like it was really seized on my sort of cynical thing is it's really just because it's people with a lot of money um, and people with, Mm -hmm. with a lot of money and sort of a personal narrative that you can, that you can get onto. But like, you know, if like one of the lot, if like this whole Roger Ailes thing happens, say one of the Murdoch brothers was the ones that broke it, and then the other Murdoch brother writes this like scathing letter about it, I'd read the whole thing. I don't know if everybody yeah. would, but I would read the whole thing.
1: I think maybe our publication would be interested in that. Would cover that. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I don't know. No. Just,
0: just a little pub called Vanity Fair. Yeah. Mm. No. Dynastic I-
1: scandal. <laughs> it, it would be a new thing for us, but.
0: So if the Murdochs are listening. <laughs> we're here for you anytime um before before we leave kendall i want to say one more thing because it is important and i think it's going to be important later which is that kendall gives but doesn't really give greg a watch
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes thank you for not forgetting that
0: (laughs) well greg certainly didn't forget it um and the story of this watch is that greg thinks it's a gift and is so excited about the gift that he even tells tom he's like oh kendall's giving me a gift Um, and then Kendall's like, lol, this is not a gift, and has this, shares this moment with Naomi where they're both kind of like, haha, this poor person thinks I'm gonna buy them a a $40,000 watch. Like, no conception of how, of how much money that is to, to Greg, clearly. And then the watch stops working. Um, so, that's all that's like literally the entire watch plot line but it happens over the course of the episode and I I really I feel like it's very important.
1: <laughs> it is and and it it sort of involves Greg flirting with the publicist played by Dasha yeah. um and which is kind of an interesting little background development in this episode um that was hinted at an episode previous um but it also involves the line I've always used my cell phone for my time-based <laughs> needs. <laughs> Which is an incredible turn of phrase. My time-based needs. I mean, that really kind of starts to feel existential if you think about it too much. Um, yeah, it's great.
0: Um, we've said Dasha's name so many times, but we haven't said her last name. So I'm just going to clarify that her last name is Necrosova. Her name is Dasha Necrosova. Sorry, Dasha. Um, okay, so let's now finally get to Shiv, and we'll we'll lump uh, we'll lump Tom in with uh, with Shiv too, um, because I think like the in in a lot of ways, Shiv's also ha- has a very dramatic episode, um, Tom too, but, but Shiv's sort of more of the carrying this mantle now because she has this role now. She's the president of domestic operations in an advisory capacity, which sort of sounds like nothing. But it certainly is something you can put on your resume. Um, and she's in, Shiv is in the middle of all of these conversations that are happening uh, in Waystar Royco where things are pretty chaotic up top. Um, Jerry's trying to make decisions. Logan's sometimes listening to her decisions, sometimes completely contradicting them. Everyone in the middle is sort of trying to keep both people happy. Everyone is angry about how no one seems to be listening to them. Like, Jerry's mad that people won't listen to her. Logan's mad that people aren't listening to him. Um, or Royco suggested a new branding campaign to respond to it. Um, it's a bunch of posters that say, we get it. <laughs> um, Jerry Green lit it, but everyone else hates it. Um, and then the first thing that Shiv does is she volunteers to approach Kendall at this journalism benefit. Um after and after she's rebuffed she goes back and talks to logan um so yeah that's like i think that conversation with logan is kind of the first thing where i started to really be interested in the shiv plot line but i don't want to skip if there's something you wanted to say richard
1: no i mean i I think that you know shiv saying about the we get it being like well it sounds a little like we get it we get it and she's she's right you know but like and you know i kind of like almost rolled my eyes at that i was like this feels very tv but it's like how many dumb goddamn Corporate slogans have we seen in real life and seen mocked on Twitter. I mean, it's actually very believable. It's you know,
0: yes, that's true. It's highly believable. It's very hard to make an inoffensive corporate slogan. Most of them are very bad. Um, Particularly
1: as it pertains to like trying to like (laughs) clean house and like save face. You know, like and and address like a really systematic horrifying thing. I'd be like, ah, we get it, or we get it, we get it. Like it's just like it's like you you have to like. It 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 requires so much like spoken aloud tone to to like understand what the intent is that it that makes it a bad slogan, you know?
0: Yeah. Um. Fun. And then of course after complaining about it, Shiv uses it the next day in her speech, which I which I also loved. Um. But let's talk about this conversation she has with Logan. Um. After the benefit, so it's at night and it's it's in his place. Um. And he's really pushing. He's like, why isn't my only daughter saying more to either disparage Kendall or to support me? And she's like, Dad, but I am supporting you. And they like sort of have a conversation about what he knew when he knew it. Um, And he's like, he gets very blustery. He says at some point, you will not find a piece of paper that makes you embarrassed of me. I protected you. Blah, blah, blah. Um... I watched this episode twice, and the first time I was kind of like, oh, okay, interesting, some context. And then the second time I was like, oh, he's manipulating her. <laughs> he's, oh, yeah. he's, fully, he's fully giving her a performance, and she is buying it, hook, light, and sinker.
1: Yeah, she is in a way that I think really is in dialogue with the scene with Kendall at the, at the gala, yeah. where he sees that she has taken the pill. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think she is at least conscious of the pill working its way through her system. It hasn't completely worked yet. But this scene where and it's, you know, we can we'll talk we can get more into Logan, but like one of the way the, the way this character's written and the way it's performed uh by Brian Cox is so shrewd because you see how he calibrates his approach with each of his children. Yes. You know yeah. uh Roman gets the kinda like tough talking, foul mouth kind of thing because that's what he likes. And with Shiv He can kind of appeal to that like gruff old teddy bear thing that she wants to see in him, you know, and ultimately he cares about like making his daughter proud and not embarrassing her. Um, And 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 that works on her quite a lot, even as she's being asked and scolded to some extent for not speaking out on his behalf, not because she's one of his children, but because she's his only daughter. And so he's saying we have a woman problem. So, hey, woman. go deal with this right and she does and i think it's a kind of an interesting psychological sort of theory or mapping of like why you know some women in the real world stick around at you know in these really toxic corporations i mean there are a myriad reasons why but one of them might be this kind of like well but my sort of loyalty was appealed to and 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 you know i don't know is that is am i overstepping
0: no no i i think you i think you're making a good point because she has well i i first of all completely agree with you that like the daddy's girl narrative is so seductive to both of them at different times like at shiv's wedding logan was very susceptible to the to the like this is my only daughter she deserves something special narrative and then i felt like the reverse in this case and i do think that that corresponds well to you know why do individual women stay in places that have you know toxic behavior toxic misogyny at large and it's because it's working for them right or at least she thinks at this point that her dad has her back so this woman is is covered this woman is is golden and I, I think that's kind of right now, unfortunately, like that's as far as Shiv's, um, that's as far as like Shiv's con- like vision is reaching. She's she's not looking at farther, farther enough to see, to see other women. She's really focused on herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the major signifier of that is she finally has a title at the company and, 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 and the title in particular is sort of meant to. Be this public facing, like I'm. I'm here to clean house, whatever you know, and really work with like corporate responsibility and all that stuff. And 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 so that's a kind of that's a really deft manipulation of what her interests were. Let's say in the first season, you know, yeah, for sure. And so it's it's enough to convince her that she's yes, she knows she's playing that the the Game of Thrones, you know, and and all that. She's not such a she's not so naive as to think that she's not in a power grab at the same time. But like this also feels like a real gig, you know, and and a real job that she's uniquely suited for. When of course it's all just cover, you know. He says that to Shiv. He says, "You know, Jerry is just PR or whatever. You're, you're something else." It's like, no, she's the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that sincerity from Logan, um, or what she perceives as sincerity from Logan, it really works really well at making Shiv complicit in his in his crimes or in his abuses, at least. Um, and he is very insistent here that he didn't know that he like he like she's like you were on the emails and he's like oh i get so many emails which is not a defense that holds up in court by the way so i was like okay (laughs) but um he claims to have be quite distant from from this whole culture and at some point she calls bullshit on him she's like tom worked in cruises like i know this wasn't just a couple of bad apples but she's still willing to believe that he didn't engage in this kind of behavior it would be very interesting like I, what's interesting to me about that is like Logan's made promises to Shiv that are pretty easy to blow up if someone has proof. If someone has proof that Logan knew or Logan did something, I think that that takes apart this entire construct he's created for Shiv. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes.
1: Yeah, and, and it's you see these moments, she's like, hullabaloo, <laughs> you know, like, what do you like? This is bigger than a hullabaloo. <laughs> uh, and then later, he, Logan says, like, like moaning minis, like repeat litigators or whatever, you know, really reducing this. And those are obvious signifiers about how seriously he's taking this. He's taking it seriously as a threat to his autonomy and his, you know, company, but the actual material, like what whose lives are being spoken about and what happened, like that doesn't matter. And Shiv is able to kind of be like, "Ah, well, that's dear old dad, I guess, you know, (laughs) like it's just that he's just that's just how he talks, not how he thinks or acts, which of course is not true.
2: Apple card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: So after after this conversation, which is pretty, pretty weird, uh, she goes home and have has like an even more bonkers conversation with the other man in her life, her husband, Tom, Um I something I didn't know is that they have a dog named Mondale. Something we know is that now their dog Mondale has eaten a pair of her pantyhose, um, which I thought was very cute. Um, but in the midst of whatever domestic drama that is, um Tom Tom introduces the idea that not only could he go to jail uh for for the for the crimes that were committed in the cruise division, um, but maybe he should offer to go offer not the government but Logan, he should offer to be essentially the fall guy for Waystar Roko. Um this this is so bonkers because um you know there's so obviously there's so much risk involved. Tom clearly does not want to go to prison. Um Shiv's handling of it is so on one hand she's like, oh of course you shouldn't do that. That's a terrible idea and then wait a minute, but that could make a win out of a no-win situation. Like, his wife uh, very much giving him mixed messages about this very large decision, and ultimately ends up, I think sort of Shiv ends up indicating to him, like, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe you should go to jail for a couple of years.
1: The way that she turns it from, no, 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 no. Pause. Pause. But, you know, <laughs> actually, maybe, like, I, I it's just, like, clearly that's, she... The second part of that is what she immediately thought, but like had to kind of play, you know, like the, you know, in that, it's like the game you play when it, it, someone's like, no, I got it. And you're like, no, no, no. And you sort of pretend reach for your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> but all the while you're like, no, I'm going to let them pay, you yeah, know, yeah. um, just watching the wheels turn in her head and they, they're turning pretty quickly, um, is interesting and chilling because, you know, that's what her dad does. Her dad takes gestures that are maybe cynical, but also sort of, done out of a sense of loyalty or love even Mm -hmm. and you know extracts them for their sort of barest utility and lets people really hamstring themselves and um i mean i tom is really fucking himself over here right because he, he he when he talks to logan he doesn't ask for anything i guess the strategy is it's a longer game than that but um i got the impression in that scene with logan and tom that like Logan is just going to let him do that if he wants to do it or keep that in his back pocket and then nothing nothing will be given in return.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Both Logan and increasingly Shiv seem seem to be signaling they are more than happy to just use up Tom, <laughs> use up the resources that he's offering them. Um Tom throughout this episode I think is also like uh it's almost like he's speaking from like the bottom of a well or something. Like he feel he he really feels sunken into the fear of um you know of the law um and the fact that he takes that feeling and turns it into like how can i volu- like volunteer to like eat shit for the company is i think a really just i thought it was very interesting um it to me it it's uh in direct comparison to uh you know kendall's relationship with uh being humiliated um and logan saying to saying to marsha in the last episode that he he just doesn't eat shit he just won't eat shit um i think that there's there's just some interesting i mean there's just some interesting depth there i think there's also maybe a little bit of a mystery or or something we're going to learn more with tom because there's like a mysterious kind of phone call he makes and um we know he has a lawyer, but we don't know exactly what he said with the lawyer. Um, and so I I found myself wondering if there was going to be, like, a twist in that regard.
1: I don't know if Tom is, like, you know, 3D chess playing or whatever. Mm. But there is a there is a theory that, like, that was all a test. Oh. Like, would Shiv actually let me do this? Would he actually let me do this? Yep, they would. So now I'm going to lawyer up and, right, you know, get my own deal or whatever.
0: Right. Like what but also like good for tom if that is what he is realizing yeah. like i don't i mean i it's it's a little terrifying how quickly these people are willing to to let him do that um and then I, I don't know if there's that much more to say about his situation, um, right now, but, uh, his whole tone in this episode is just very hapless because the other major thing he does is manage this investors meeting at the very, it's like a dinner. It's like a nice dinner for, I'm sorry, not the investors, advertisers the advertisers. For the news- right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So the advertisers for ATN. Um, and he's, you know, talking about uh, talking about their viewer loyalty and all this stuff and then is like, not to alarm anyone, but it appears as if federal agents are raiding the building.
1: <laughs> and he says raiding and it's like, Tom, <laughs> don't say raiding. Say like there are some federal officers like, you know, in, in the, the course of their investigation, like and we're comply, you know, we're cooperating like like soften it. Don't say raiding. Yeah. Like, but it's like. He, he always steps on his own feet, you know?
0: Yeah, he's, he's just, yeah, he's not capable of that 3D chess, uh, as we've, yeah, as we've established. Um, so to go back to show for a second, because I think that, like, the town hall meeting is such a, sh- is supposed to be such a showcase for her, and I really loved the scene right before it, uh, or it's like a shot, like, right before the town hall, where, um, she's walking down the hallway, um and she's like flanked by all of these sort of functionaries, and she's in the center and her hair is kind of like flying back a little bit with like some sort of imagined interior wind um and everyone's sort of like whispering things in her ear and like giving her support out of nowhere. Hugo is telling her that he's like always been on her side and like really? supported her yeah, yeah. And you're like you
1: might is-? have noticed, but i I, I promise <laughs> I've been working you know behind the scenes this whole time
0: and then. She goes on stage and starts giving the speech, completely, like, cannot maintain her composure once the music starts, like, really clumsily kind of tries to power through it, and then, and then gets really flustered and leaves. And the, the shot right afterwards is another hallway shot, but she's so diminished. Like, in the first one, she took up most of the screen, and in this one, she's like a tiny little figurine, um, and she's walking up this, like, cold, sort of deserted hallway, Turns into the office that is Kendall's theoretically, and hawks uh, <laughs> a loogie into his into his planner. I guess, um, really, cl- clearly a big a big setback for her. That whole moment,
1: yeah, and she's crying a little bit and. You know, she sees the speaker boxes. I, I, I don't know if I totally like understand the how that would he did that or you know w- w- when did he get those you know speakers in there. I, you know, mm. but it's clear that like Kendall was involved in this, and she's upset. I, I guess I'm uh, what I'm trying to figure out, and maybe that's the point. Is is she upset that her big like debutante ball for Waystar Royko, uh her big unveiling as this competent you know new generation voice of reason? Uh, which kind of was going okay until the music started playing. I thought she seemed, you know, smooth. Kind of like she has that political background. Like she can talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, was she upset that that got ruined, or that her brother did such a personal betrayal? You know, he knew what that he would have known what that moment meant for her. He would have known how discordant any music would have been. But but the word rape and a song from like at least Kendall's childhood. You mm-hmm. know, like it has holds a certain weight like it's both at once i guess like that's why you know she's crying because of both things but do you think that she weighs one as a worse thing than the other
0: i well based based on the fact that the the letter comes right afterwards i i think that the betrayal from kendall is a big part of why she's angry but i do think that the moment being taken from her is really the root of it. Like she she wants that moment. She wants to be anointed. She wants to be in like on the inside and on top. And and in a way I mean it is very, you know, kind of classic girl boss culture again where like She's like, well, I'm doing everything by the rules. Like, I'm in the corporation. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm saying what they are telling me to say. And you're you're you know, you're disrupting. You're you're causing you're causing scenes, and everyone's paying attention to you, and no one's paying attention to me.
1: Right. Yeah. And you know, the the people who know you best can hurt you the worst, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's exactly what happened uh, on both sides of this. You know, and um, it it is interesting though that. Connor and Roman were a little more like not reticent. I don't think out of morals, but also kind of yes, out of morals, right? Um, and and watching her be like, "Well, you're not gonna, you're not with me," just in the same way that Kendall right. experienced with his three siblings in episode two, you know? Yeah, uh, or was it one? I don't remember. But um, like, it's an interesting episode of Shiv and Kendall realizing that they have made their choices, they have made their beds and it's going to be a little more difficult than they thought it would and hurt more and be more isolating.
0: For sure. I mean cuz and I think my interpretation of with Connor and Roman declining to sign this letter is that it's 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 too personal. It's too it's it's driven by more emotion than they are feeling towards Kendall, but Shiv's really feeling it. Uh and and her her ambition is currently being thwarted, right? Like I feel like she's uh, she's getting angrier about about the fact that she's not getting this thing that she's entitled to. Um, yeah, I just I want to just call attention to the fact that Connor calls <laughs> has two really funny um, terms for the letter. The first is that he describes it as the greeting card from hell. And then he calls it a Times New Roman firing squad. Um, I really liked both of those. Um uh, Yeah generally And uh, I like
1: writing wise that we don't know what's in it yet. Yeah. Right. And that's only revealed later. I think that's clever.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um let's talk about Logan um for a second. Um he's back in New York, he's back on his bullshit. Um episode starts, he's just yelling at everybody, not power sharing with Jerry. We talked a little bit about this conversation that he has with Shiv, which starts actually with him uh, when Shiv comes in you get a little glimpse of marcia negotiating uh with celestine and- still still versus- negotiating, still ne- still negotiating. Yeah. um and he says I th- he says i feel another million drain with every cluck from that hen house which is like what a misogynist asshole
1: <laughs> and, and 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 it's like logan saying that as he enters a conversation in which he intends to appeal to his daughter's femininity and like like daughterly li- loyalty to him it's like dude maybe j- don't lead with that <laughs> like i know but well what a window
0: you know. into like the mixed messages about her gender empowerment or whatever shiv's gender empowerment That it's like you're the daughter you're the girl boss you're inferior to men in every way like there's no she can't really get any clear air there um okay so before the town hall uh lo- and this is actually the same scene where tom like it tells tells logan by the way i'll go to jail for you um logan is standing behind the scenes of an atn morning show and he is waiting for what turns out to be michelle ann who was the woman on the phone with jerry in the first episode um who is the president's pantsuit uh pantsuit barnacle um who's played by linda Emmond, Is that right
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. great theater actress d- does a lot of tv as well
0: I know her from the good, the good Fight, Good Wife universe, where she's a recurring judge. Um, so she's definitely got that, like, legal eagle uh, look to her. After her interview, um, Logan, like, pulls her aside, and they have this meeting. So it's the head of ATN, major conservative news organization, and one of the president's right-hand people, this woman. And they are having this quiet little tete-a-tete in in this office um and basically logan puts all the pressure he can on her
1: yeah and and uh, the writing is so clever because it's like they're not neither of them are really saying exactly what they want but they arrive at an understanding or at least logan thinks they do where basically he's like she's like well the president also you know isn't that happy with some of the recent coverage and he's like i could make it a lot worse and then she's like and then basically, she says, like, uh, you know, I could talk to somebody or whatever, or or the president could think differently. And Logan says, well, I mean, I, I guess we could, you know, lay off for a little bit. You know, like, like they're, they're being coy about it, but they know exactly what they're saying. They just don't want to come out and say, I'll give you, I'll give him better coverage if you get me out of this, you know? Right. Um, and
0: eventually, she says, like, we want the same thing. Let's see if we can figure right. something out. But the whole conversation really just kind of made my skin crawl. Um, and I think, and you'll have to tell, I mean, tell me what you think about this. But based on what she said and the way they were talking about the president, I got the impression we were dealing with a Trump-like president more than a Biden-like president, because I guess it seemed like he was a a Republican president.
1: And, and, and someone who is very, p- pays close attention to media and Right Slight variations in coverage and you know and this you know like Trump would would sort of get mad at Fox and then love Fox again and then like o a n n and then you know what you know on and on right um and and this seems to be like your calibration is off right you know you've 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 been a little hard on him recently, so could you kind of back off you know he's 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 upset, he pays close attention to this stuff, um so yes, that definitely feels trumpian.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it was you know, Katie had brought up how the show will feel different or, or not different in the post-Trump era, and I and I think I think what we're seeing is that the writers are interested in in teasing out some of the details of how they imagine these conversations that we kind of know happened or we can sort of like infer happened, um, where you know there's. Uh, there's a liaison between uh the White House and and the biggest conservative news uh organization in the country, which, you know, really did happen in the in the person of Bill Shine and Sean Hannity at the White House. So um kind of interesting to see that and interesting to see where that goes. But basically whatever Logan's pressure on Michelle Ann backfires, at least according to Jerry, it backfires because approximately 12 hours later maybe even less the fbi is shows up at waystar royco um and then in that moment and i think this is finally the reversal that i think we kind of knew was coming um logan decides that it's not war anymore now we're cooperating with the fbi
1: yeah and and that whole like you know the the, who would have been the the district attorney or something found out about this meeting and saw that as some sort of collusionary act activity or something and it spooked him and so now like they're going harder than they would have normally yeah. um you know and he's like, talking about reaching out to the southern district and it just makes me think about like you know when when various new york prosecutors were going after trump and and there was a certain kind of sense from the administration of like well we actually can't do anything about these prosecutors you right. know right we'll try to get the fbi in our back pocket we'll try to do this and that and you know to varying success And you have a similar situation here where much like Kendall, much like Shiv in this episode, Logan has for now reached a limit of his power Mm -hmm. and him turning and staring out the window and, and a little crumble kind of comes across his face, you know, much as it did for Shiv and Kendall elsewhere in the episode where he's like. Oh, I really am backed up against the wall here, you know. And and he kind of wearily turns around and soft, more softly says, like, we're we're gonna we're gonna cooperate, you know, because what else can you do? The FBI's in the elevator, you know. He, um, he was
0: trying to come up with other ideas, and they all sounded really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, very bad. Yeah.
0: Don't yeah, don't yeah. let them in. It's <laughs> <was> like, well,
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I think that like we see Jerry in this episode. Undermined consistently, feeling frustrated about that, trying to assert her CEO ness, uh, and kind of not being listened to, or you know, or or worse, yeah. insulted. Yeah. Um. And and yet, in two crucial moments, she says about firing Kendall when they're like, "We don't want to let him up." I mean, this is all. This is these. Both of these scenes are happening when some someone scary is downstairs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone that's at the gates. They literally say that about the FBI they're at the gates. Um. She says, "You cannot file fire." Fire Kendall. That will get hand the the FBI gas can. You know you cannot do that. Right. And then later at the you know at the end of this episode, she's like, we cannot have the optics of the FBI breaking our door down. Right. You know. And in those crucial moments, Logan, in all of his bluster, does listen to her. Right. And so I think that like she does still hold some power, but it's more in that like putting a gentle hand on his arm, oh, but forceful, and saying, look, buddy, like I know you like to be bellicose and. Hard charging and not concede to anybody but like this is strategy here and you are too consumed with anger at your son to uh see the clear picture here and so she has to remind him of that and that's power
0: yeah i really not to plug our own podcast but um i really loved the conversation that joy press had with uh the two of them with brian cox and jay smith cameron uh talking o- a bit about the relationship because both of the actors seem to kind of have built a backstory in their minds about it uh which i uh, pr- i really liked hearing about but definitely they both also identified that even even in this moment of tension there is surprising trust um between those two that yes jerry is able to say like you cannot do this and and he listens um it's kind of incredible
1: I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
0: Each week we're gonna talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love: books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months?
1: There's a new a translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really oh. excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out.
0: I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto
1: bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts.
0: You really don't want to miss this don't don't miss this don't miss it see you soon <laughs> so um let's go to, to let's talk about our our last uh, sibling i guess we talked about connor a little bye connor you're done connor let's talk about roman um and one of the reasons i wanted to talk about roman last is because i got to talk to him about this episode um so we'll uh we'll throw to the interview at the end of this um but let's talk a little bit about Roman in this episode first. I mean, what's kind of great is like a lot of the other characters are having big arcs. Um, and Roman's kind of like swimming along and sort of doing pretty well. Like he's like, he's like treading water in like a pretty good way. Um, he's, he's his, the wisecracking will not stop. Um, I, I think that the, the melt it's not exactly a meltdown but when shiv and roman are presented with the town hall questions which is basically just like like you know they they have this town hall to be like we want to hear what our employers really what our employees really need to know from us and like in order for them to feel good about working in the company and then they get the real questions and they're so shiv and roman are so dismissive of it it's like such a laugh out loud funny scene that they're like not this we can't ask this dad's gonna shit his pants if he says this i felt like it was like a carefully coordinated slapstick it was so funny
1: i think kendall or or, sorry roman at one point says this is just rude or something
0: (laughs) right and you're like
1: man have you met you all (laughs) like this is how this works he
0: says something like i don't think someone should work at this company if they think this
1: (laughs) (laughs) right yeah, Yeah. it was pretty incredible. Yeah, he he's mostly kind of the, the snarky, you know, Loki of the episode kind of, you know, darting around in the background. But I think there is that really heartbreaking scene after he's done this very, very soft pedal interview with someone from ATN business, you know. Yep. About, yes, streaming in South Asia, but also mostly like at the end, we're going to ask some questions about dear old dad, you mm-hmm. know, and he gets really frustrated. And then. In the scene, you know, a couple scenes later, when when he talks to Logan about it, you see why he was so a- averse to doing this was because he just had to make something up, right? Because there were no. It was like Connor took me on the fishing trip, and Logan says to him, "I wouldn't have taken you for a faggot." <laughs> and then uh. he says, "Oh, I'm just joking," you know. And and you know, much like we see how Logan appeals to Shiv in that meeting scene. Here we see his dynamic with Roman. And I think with Roman, though, is that the pain that this stuff causes is much more on the surface, you know? And I think that's testament to uh, Kieran Culkin's performance. Like, that, that I'm really curious where Roman's going this season, but there's a part of me that might, could almost see him being the one who actually breaks out of this because he is so consistently mired in bad memories you know sexual abuse that he's alluded to in the past not from the family but you know that was not really addressed at the time Mm. um that like him having to like tell this like shaggy bored atn business reporter a, a fake story about one memory a happy memory with his dad that had nothing to do with work like i feel like he might reach a breaking point in a in a healthy way
0: oh that's that's such a good read, I think, because I agree that he seems more conscious of how his dad affects him than than the other characters and um in that in that last scene with Logan um Logan's doing the manipulation very clearly, you know the way he talks to Roman is so different from the way he talks to Shiv and he keeps say he keeps calling Roman a smart cookie for like keeping his nose out of it, which is like kind of patronizing um and I think, I mean, I hope I'm not reading too much in it, but the way that I read, you know, Roman's response to it was kind of like, what's this angle? Like, what What are you trying to do here? Like, I'm kind of just trying to, like, keep my nose to the grindstone. He likes working with Jerry. It's sort of all working right now. Um, I really felt more suspicion coming from him about his father than I did with Shiv, even though it sort of seems like Roman's currently easier to control.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was a funny moment when... He's going to the office late at night. Jerry's working. I don't think he was going there to talk about numbers, you know, <laughs> but then his dad is still there and he's like, oh, hi, you're here. And then he's like, I, I was just there to blah, blah, blah. And then it, then Logan's like, oh, you're working late. Like, I don't think that slyness means that Logan is like aware of whatever is going on between Roman and Jerry. But like in that, like, oh, you're working hard. There is mocking,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and um. But also an appraisal. I mean I I I I think that like Logan, for all of his, you know, bluster and concern about the company and his fate, he really likes watching these kids duke it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really fun for him. Mm-hmm. Um it, you know, because maybe he sees that as them competing for his affection, which it is in some senses. Um and, and the problem is that Kendall has ruined the game or or changed the rules of the game for now. And uh even though there was that little smile at the end of season two, uh, you know, he seems very hurt by that. Um, and so this little like mocking. Pas de deux with, with Roman seems to him to be him kind of trying to get that rhythm back to normal, you know?
0: And what is, I think kind of interesting and sort of amazing about Roman is that he's sort of been able to maintain pot, like a good relationship with both Kendall and Shiv in this situation. Like Kendall and Shiv are now in the outs with each other. Um, Shiv approaches him about this letter and uh, Roman's response is like really visceral and really honest where he's just like mm, this doesn't feel right and she's like that's not a reason and he says I think this is a very funny line oh well then take me to reason court and fucking sue me <laughs> which is like a playground response and like one I'm gonna have to remember like for some future point in my life but I think sort of underlines how he's I- his character is is processing emotion differently i think and has has some a little bit more of a grasp of uh of the stuff that's happening to him um and and this is i mean, so to throw to my uh to my interview here i got i got the chance to talk to to Kieran for um like 15 minutes or so um and he said something similar about how he just thinks that uh Roman's just really responding in the moment um so listen now So the the town hall ends with a uh, Shiv trying to give that speech, and then the Nirvana, um, the Nirvana, yeah, the Nirvana coming in, which is, uh, you know, really topical and uh, really awkward, also.
2: Wow, yeah, i have forgotten about that.
0: I think um, one of the reasons, well, you know, it was exciting to get to talk to you in general because I feel like Roman is just always like a really interesting character in every episode, but um. I think what's been interesting. I'm trying to keep pace with the podcast, so I'm up to episode three right now. I think what's been really interesting is I feel like I have no idea what Roman wants. I I think like he's one of the most interesting, hard to pin down characters in the show because I can sort of see like Kendall kind of wants to like be a maybe a good person. Shiv kind of wants to be a good person. I don't think that's like that important to Roman. I don't. I think Roman's like, can I have power? Can I amass it somehow? And he's interested in however, whichever avenue that might take.
2: It's funny. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't quite see it that way. I don't think he's trying to amass power. I don't think he. I think he has less of an agenda than than maybe the the other siblings do. Um,
0: What's what is the agenda, or is he just like reacting? Maybe.
2: Yeah, I think there's it's less planned. I feel like, you know, you said Kendall wants to be a good person. I don't know that that's really <laughs> true. If I were to look at it. I think he wants people to like him. I think he...
0: Yeah, yeah. Wants,
2: I mean, he's high on himself because nobody is high on him, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, in that first episode, he says to Raba, like, you think I can do it? You know, in this really helpful way because really what he wants is like, like yes, Ken, of course you can do it. You're awesome. Yeah. You're yeah. smart. And you've got all the tools. Instead, she goes. I don't know. Yeah, which is which is the show, and that's you know. So I think he's trying to you know put up some sort of facade, but you know to be that way. But um, and I think if anyone Shiv is a little one, a little more going for uh, power and trying to manipulate, and she she tries to you know control things. Um, Sort of more like himself, like. Yeah. Like, uh, which is a bit like logan it's not i don't know or at least i'm finding that he sort of has the same sort of sensibility logan i don't know i'm trying to remember episode three what the fuck happens
0: well one of the things that is really funny about it is that it starts with kendall doing this interview um with a journalist and then roman won't let go how funny he finds this interview to be And he keeps saying to, you know, to everyone, oh, how's your headspace? What's your headspace like? Because Kendall mentions this headspace thing. And um, then later in the episode, Shiv, um, after the whole incident with the Nirvana um, music cutting into the speech, Shiv um, tries to get Roman and Connor to, like, sign off on this letter that she's written. Right. And then another, I think another interesting moment, given that up until this, up until this part of this episode, Roman and Kendall have, like, not been seeing eye to eye and don't really want to be on each other's team, but then Roman's like, I'm not signing that letter. Uh, You, There's such a, such a funny line. What is it? Uh, The Times New, Times New Roman Firing Squad, Um, and Connor calls it the greeting card from hell. Um, And... And that, to me, that was interesting too. Again, just in terms of pinning down the character, he's so slippery. You know, I can see why Shiv was like Roman's totally gonna sign this letter with me. He agrees with me that Kendall's kind of a fuck up right now. But uh, Roman's Roman's not there for it. He's not interested.
2: Is that, is you you're actually the second person I talked to today that said I can't read him, and I'm like, oh, to me it's uh, I guess because I'm <laughs> to me, it's just like yeah, it's right there. It's right on his sleeve. I think. Um, no. Nope.
0: Well, maybe that's all. But that's kind of amazing, actually. I, th- I think Roman's sort of um, he's so visceral. He's reacting in the moment. And I think maybe that's why it feels it feels harder to read.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, I think he, you know, actually, he, not to use the word, but he actually loves his siblings. He loves his family. Um, yeah. And the others might have that, too, but they're really good at concealing it. I just don't think Roman can do that i don't think he can conceal anything I, he's probably the yeah, kind of guy who goes my tummy hurts like, <laughs> he, like he can't even pretend he's not feeling sick uh, <laughs> that's why like i'm like how was he hard to read and um uh, <laughs> and the letter is kind of awful and doing something you know it's one thing to like let's get him let's get him out of the company let's let's ditch this loser let's destroy him and then Shiv makes it really personal and wants to destroy him personally. Like, well, that don't be mean.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Right.
2: <laughs> and it's right. funny because, like, you know, Dad always saying, like, you know, he wants this, whoever, his kid, whichever kid might take over to be a killer. And I'm like, Roman's a killer up to a point. I, like, I think yeah. he have all of that in him, but I don't think he could, could kill his siblings. He doesn't have it
0: there there's definitely some like soft emotional core there and that's uh it's yeah right 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 for a couple of people yeah and you know very interestingly one of them is is Jerry at least so far um i think um all of the conversations that roman's had with logan um have been so trying to figure out what game logan is playing and then trying to imagine how roman must be processing all of these, like, years of abuse and neglect from this guy, and then spinning it into, you know, you're going to be on Jerry's side for the CEO thing, but then also you're kind of spying on her for Logan. I can see, it's like you're watching Roman yourself making the decisions very much on the spot, kind of being like, oh, which way does this flag go now? (laughs) Yeah. No.
2: I mean, in a way, that just makes it sort of easier for Roman to just...
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think something that really struck me about this episode, too, was all of this prep for um, oh, the, an interview, an interview Roman's doing. And they're like, oh, we're going to ask you about your dad. We're going to ask you about a memory with your dad. <laughs> and you you lean forward and do like fake vomiting onto the floor. You're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and and then you give them a memory that's actually a memory uh, with Connor. Um, it's not a memory that, Right. It's a uh, fly fishing in Montana. And um, in the final moments of this episode, you tell Logan, you tell your dad, it wasn't a memory with you. We don't have good, like, we don't have good memories with each other is sort of the understanding. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But for me, the, the, he doesn't deliver that to Logan with any sort of weight to it. I think there's always, Roman's always sort of rationalizing or just sort of justifying that kind of behavior. Like, dad whacks him in the face and it's like, it's fine. Like, he got a little upset, and I was next to him. That's all. Like, no big deal. Everybody stopped making a big deal of it. But really, because, you know, somebody else could turn that into something else. So the, the, the big teddy bear got angry, and he smacked me. Who cares? He, he loves me. I know he loves me. So there's a great yeah. deal of that. Yeah, I don't think that was to try. That, that wasn't to try to make Dad feel bad about that not being him. And also, um, whatever sadness Roman might have about that is very deeply buried. though.
0: So very deep <laughs> I
2: don't think you feel sad about that at all I was like no it was actually it was a nice thing i have with connor i just thought it would be a better story to tell i just thought it was better than the ones i had which is another way of saying it. i didn't have any i yeah. didn't have any like fun stories of you and i doing stuff
0: yeah and 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 no one has to feel bad about that it sort of seems to be right even though i as the audience i'm like this is really sad <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh it's been really interesting watching uh watching you and Brian Cox kind of like do this relationship with each other cuz for for me as the viewer I'm just filling in all these gaps about you know your childhood or like what I imagine this character's existence must have been. Um and I think um you know when Kendall draws everyone together for this scheme early on in the season and is like what if we all band together and we take down dad Really early on, even if Roman is sort of, like, sympathetic towards what Kendall's going through, Roman's like, this isn't going to work. You're not going to take down dad. And, like, his intense, like, cynicism about going against the this man, who is his dad and also, like, the patriarchy in a big way, um, that kind of made me sad, too. Just sort of feeling Roman really feeling locked into the the tyranny, kind of, of his dad, even if he doesn't see it as tyranny, very much, he recognizes that power.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of just all he's known. That's that's the one. The one truth is, Dad wins. Like, and right. that's always been the case. And as far as Roman's concerned, it always will be. So it's funny that I that Roman even takes the time to consider the alternative. I, I, he does because he's smart, and you 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 have to you have to, yeah. you have to look at it um and and make the wise choice. But I feel like that one's kind of an easy one. For him. It's tyranny. It's funny. I just don't, yeah, see it that way.
0: Right. I mean, right. I,
2: I probably can take an obje- objective look at it, but as Roman, yeah, no.
0: No, because Roman hero worships this guy, clearly obsessed with his dad, even though, you know, in the first episode, he tells him, your dad tells Roman, you know, tells Roman, to suck my dick and roman's like oh wow oh wow that just happened to me (laughs) like and it's it's funny because i think roman is both like the sort of the key i don't know not to get too technical but you know i think there's a way in which he sort of turns to the audience as kind of the chorus and is like did you just hear this like did you just see this but is also completely in it and is not phased and is like oh yeah this is my dad this is dear old dad yeah
2: which like you know immediately after you know you want to suck my dick slam the door it's like I'll make a joke uh, we got got that, that was not heavy guys I know that sounds like that could have been traumatized but uh, everything's fine it's cool it's a joke he, he loves me yeah, yeah and that was actually a fun that was one of the funniest moments on set doing like ten twelve takes of you want to <laughs> suck my dick slam you want to suck my dick slam. Uh, slamming the door, and each each take, I got to do a different joke. Where they had different jokes for Roman, so
0: <laughs> that's really that's really fun. Do you? I I've read you extemporize a lot of Romans um, dialogue.
2: Well, yeah, there's a lot of like the camera still roll, so we get to play. Um, but like the in, the improv stuff is more. It's not about like trying to get stuff in the show because like the stuff that's written is what's in the show, and that's the show. For me, right. it's more like the freedom to improvise and then not use it is like freedom to fail and um, to like, see what, how these characters sort of interact when like in between scenes is sort of fun. But then in moments like that, you know, we get the alt lines, the alternative lines, like here are eight different things Roman could say after dad says, do you want to suck my dick door <laughs> in his face? Um, and then like, I'll see those and then I'll want to throw in some of my own and see what makes it or sort of mix and match. Like, you know, take like half written and then throw something else in it. And that's a lot of fun. And so like actually yep. when that moment was coming, cause that was one of my favorite moments on paper was, you want to suck my dick? And just, <laughs> that's just, cause I, as I read it, I immediately pictured Brian's voice saying, <laughs> and it was just even better. His inside looking grumpy as hell. Cause it was hot out wearing sunglasses, saying it to me in a door slam in my face and like watching it last night going, Oh, which one, which one is Rowan going to say? I think the the one one I used to like remember a few of them, but the one that was not used, which I liked is a very simple response. Like you wanna suck my dick, slams the door and Roman just went like Oh, maybe.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that that would that would have made me laugh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think there was another I turned to ship and went, Do I?
0: Oh the original,
2: the original uh was just um you know i often ask myself that question i think what was it well so.
0: it's 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 a question i mean how edible <laughs> um i <laughs> um i think uh i think the the way that shiv and roman have their relationship has changed the very end of um the second episode you kind of uh, roman kind of covers for her on the phone and is like oh shiv wasn't trying to go to kendall's side she she was actually trying to influence him like you know this whole kind of thing and i think there's something there's just this very interesting contrast between the language that roman uses which is very much like logan's language which is very misogynist right it has like you know whatever whether it's it's a. Uh, Someone talking about someone's panties or someone's pussy or sucking dick or whatever. But then on the on the other hand, there's this like real affection for Shiv and like trying to real affection for Jerry as well. These women who are in the mix. And I think there's um there's just like really interesting, weird emotional tones in all of your uh in the in the conversations you have with both of those characters. Where sometimes it's like asserting dominance sort of in the model that your your dad your character of your dad has. And then sometimes this new thing, this different thing that is like maybe all Roman.
2: What what's what is that new thing? Like what
0: Well, I think that there's something genuinely affectionate in the way that you, that Roman talks to Jerry, for example. And at some point, Shiv makes a joke about Jerry being like your, like Roman's mommy. And Roman gets like really upset about it and like has to leave the room for a second. And I, there's definitely like maternal affection coming from Jerry towards Roman, I think. And that's different. That's just different from what your dad, like Logan brings to his relationships with women. So, And with this relationship with Shiv too, I can sort of see there's like this interesting. uh, They're sort of coming together, Shiv and Roman, because they're not Kendall. They're not doing this big Kendall thing. But also, they're not on the same side. They're still rivals. You can see that there's there's just like you can see Roman moving in between all of these things and trying to figure out exactly what he wants. I guess
2: sort of. um, I guess Roman has. I would. I would think Roman sort of sees Shiv as an equal. And there's nobody, <laughs> there's nobody else that he sees as an equal. Um, he doesn't see Kendall as an equal, but it's, I think he finds him threatening because he, he might be greater than or something. I think that's that's sort of what that uncomfortable feeling is. Right, um, yeah. I feel like, yeah. I feel like Roman feels that he's better than him, but has never gotten the treatment that he's better. Kendall has always been treated or looked at as better. So there's that right. thing. I feel like... The the dynamic with Shiv, I think it's a little bit easier for him to compete with her because it's it's it, it feels fair and even. I don't know.
0: No, for sure, for sure. They they can they're well matched. They can they can off. Yeah. Um. Well, you know what? That's all of the time that we have. But I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts about the character for this podcast.
2: I I tried. Sorry, I don't remember as much. Of it. I should have watched episode three.
0: <laughs> That's okay. You'll have plenty of chances. Uh, Thanks so much. And you are truly great on the show. So it's just an honor.
1: Okay, well, we've reached the end of this long episode. There was a lot to talk about. Um, Sonia, what do you think we should look out for in the coming episodes?
0: Okay, well, is Tom really going to go to jail? That like seems high on the list. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that affects their relationship. And then I also think like the ongoing um manipulation from Logan, it's just hard to see how it's gonna play. Um it's hard to see what's you know, it's hard to anticipate anything that happens with uh with his with his games. Um but you can see in this episode that he's really laid uh, sown some seeds in their brains. Do you do you think that the watch is going to come back to haunt us?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I am just so like with Roman, I just like, I'm like, what are they going to do with Greg this season? You know, like the, the fam, the, 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 the family knows about this, like, lawyer, this kind of embarrassing lawyer that his grandfather set him up with, but like, what, what's actually going to happen with that? Like, Greg right now is surviving bouncing back and forth between camps, but like, that probably can't last. Maybe the watch thing was something of a final straw, but there's this woman now that he likes who's there. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm very curious about poor old Greg and his, um, time based needs. <laughs>
0: And then I think maybe the last sort of like trailing end that this episode offered us, um Ashley Zuckerman's character, who is uh Shiv's old colleague from her liberal politics days um and they slept together in the first season um and then uh I think uh she told Tom about it, and they were sort of fine with it um but now they're kind of in a different situation with Tom maybe going to jail and Shiv in a different thing. And so for her to like meet this guy um, at the at the journalism gala sort of indicates there could be something coming up there. But we will just have to wait and see.
1: I think that was maybe a bit of a misread of that scene, Sonia, because I think in that seen ashley zuckerman is playing noted symbologist dr robert langdon
0: oh my god how could i have made a crossover
1: event from the lost symbol so
0: that's just how could i have made that mistake but i know that (laughs) shiv loves moonlighting as an investigator of vatican symbology so i just i just hope that she gets a chance to do that
1: (laughs) well until next week when we can see uh you know where across the world uh dr robert langdon's adventures will take him (laughs) uh sonia where can people find you
0: um, I will do like my personal Times New Roman firing squad um on vanityfair.com and, and on social you can find me Sonia Soraya. Uh
1: and I will be attending one of the many galas celebrating journalists that I go to every week. <laughs> um and uh be tweeting from Ryalaws and writing at vanityfair.com. Uh as ever, again, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com and you know, why not? I'm gonna give you that uh subtext information again that's join subtext.com slash still watching or you can text two one three six five two six seven one seven to sign up it's free don't worry um and you can just message us anything you think about what we just talked about or what you want us to talk about uh in the future uh as ever this episode was edited and produced by dave gonzalez we are happy in our headspaces, and we hope you're happy in yours
0: Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday,
1: wherever you get your podcasts.